Hi guys, welcome to Reads, Recs, and Reviews. My name is Chamaka, your host and the Bukishibo girl. Today, I'm going to be reading an excerpt from a just-released, um, one of the highly anticipated releases for this year, 2021. Sword of the Storm by Sui Davis. First of all, let me just start by saying that when Sui released the cover for Son of the Storm, I was blown away. First off, I was blown away by um, David Mogo, The God Hunter, which I haven't read. My God, sue me. But Son of the Storm blew me away. The cover is so beautiful, tastefully done and it is that one book that I would definitely buy without um that I would definitely buy for the cover without even reading the blurb and then throw in the fact that it is fantasy, yeah, fantasy and set in Africa. Well, has well not set in Africa. I wouldn't say set. Is it set in Africa? Well, it is in my opinion and it has, you know, some African traits and all that. It's based off of Africa anyways. But yeah, Sword of the Storm is such a beautiful, has such a beautiful cover. And I'll be reading an excerpt. So I started reading, first of all, I got um, an e-arc from Sui Davis, which was, which, and anyways, I'm just thankful for small mercies. Let me just put it that way. And I got an e-arc. Um, I'm on his street squad. And it was it, it was a surprise, and I was so glad I got it. I mean, one of the one of the very few um, books that I would make, or yeah, that I would make an exception for, I think. But it was great receiving that arc. And before I move on further, I'm also um or rather um the scented lit in conjunction with Roving Heights is actually also organizing. A launch party blog book tour for I think for Global South, but basically they are organizing a book tour, and you can catch me on thirtieth of May. I will be on live with Joanne Garner, book junkie, and Sui Davies, and we're going to be discussing a lot about his book. And all of the plenty nitty gritty details. I mean, if you have questions you would like to ask, you can send me your questions. I think I would. I can. I think I can ask them for you. I mean, but then in the live you can actually still drop your questions. But you know, if you won't be able to attend that live session, send me your questions and I will ask them for you. So moving on, um, I started reading. I started reading. Son of the Storm, beginning of the month. Um, it's really been a slow read. I won't even lie about that. It is really a slow read. It requires a lot of patience to actually get past the first part of the book. It requires a whole lot of patience. So you have to actually just know that, oh, okay, I trust this author and I think he would deliver something going further. You know, you have to keep that patience. And it's ironical because I wasn't patient with Queenie. <laughs> but yeah, we move. So it's, um, is it ironical or ironic? It's ironic. Sorry, God. English is 
so hard but yeah you get what i mean so um it's difficult it was quite difficult to get into but i had to most especially because i found danso really 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 frustrating in the first part but moving on i'm i'm hoping that i see a lot of character development on his part um i like the way he actually already portrayed the um main characters most especially danso um Echeme. I haven't seen so much about Lilong, so I can't really talk so much about her. But already you will see the motives that Echeme and Danso have. You will see their personalities in the book. And he did such a great job in trying to express that. So um, I started reading it. It just um, it, it got published May 11th by Orbit Books. And I think US and UK, um, and I decided that I wanted to do a review of it, or rather read an excerpt of it, you know, just to create awareness, more awareness for the book. But anyways, um, we're going to start off, as usual, by reading out the book description slash blob for son of the storm so i'm reading from i'm reading the goodreads book description which says from one of the most exciting new storytellers in epic fantasy son of the storm is a sweeping tale of violent conquest and forgotten magic set in a world inspired by the pre-colonial empires of west africa everything i love in a fantasy book damn good stuff Jen Lyons, author of the runes of the of author of the rune of kings, in the ancient city of Bassa, Danso is a clever scholar, on the cusp of great of achieving greatness, only he doesn't want it. Instead, he prefers to chase forbidden stories about what lies outside the city walls. The elite, the Basai elite claim there is nothing of interest. The city's immigrants are sworn to secrecy. But when Danso stumbles across a warrior wielding magic that shouldn't exist, he's put on a collision course with Bassa's darkest secret. Drawn into the city's hidden history, he sets out on a journey beyond his borders and the chaos left in the wake of his discovery threatens to destroy the empire. So there's another thing um I remembered and I wanted to say about um the book um the world building it is super I'm telling you it is super it's I'm so glad that first of all I'm so glad that a lot of Nigerian African authors are actually exploring um the scenes of fantasy you know it's fascinating how their mind works you know how they think of this world how they build it off but you know they have that basis of what our world is already and they try to build it off that basis but you know somehow tweaking it you know just i don't know sort of building a perfect not a perfect i wouldn't say it's a perfect society but you know i, I don't even get what i mean but I'm always applauding them and I think that they are doing a great job. Whether it is fantasy based on 
or inspired by Africa or West Africa or any fan or fantasy that has no um how would I put it? Fantasy that has no um that has no inspiration to from the real world. I don't know if that makes sense. Um like in the case of Memory of Stone by Chio Zoe. I think that they are really and I'm so excited to see a lot more fantasy by black authors. They are doing a great job, honestly. I love fantasy a lot. And you know, the ones I'm used to are all these ones by white people, which is not bad, but I'm actually just tired. It's just the same old constant story, you know. Um so I it's 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 great that I'm seeing these things, you know, it's not, and we're not just streamlined to a certain, you know, people, certain authors, you know, I don't want to call names, but I, I'm tempted to call names like them, Tommy, Ade, and me, you know, we're seeing more, we're experiencing more. Our authors are standing up and actually doing a lot more. And that is, that is wonderful. So... I'm going to move straight into reading because I don't want to take so much time. I don't want to waste a lot of time reading. I'm going to just start. So I already, I am done with the first part and I'm going into the second part. And like I always do, this gives me much needed motivation to actually finish reading and move up and also encourage you to, you know, also piques your interest and um, sparks your curiosity to want to pick up this book to read. So the second part is the breathing, the breathing forest, chapter seventeen. Eshime. Eshime awoke in a strange bed. Her head and right shoulder should and right shoulder hurt. The walls of the room she was in looked familiar, but the space felt different, as if she had been here in spirit but not physically. Her memory was foggy, that she had stayed too long in a deep sleep. It took a while to gather that she was in her own house, but in a place that she hadn't visited too often, and that looked completely different from the last time she was here, almost a season ago. Her ma's room. Ma! She shot out of bed. Pain whizzed into her head and she felt suddenly felt faint. Easy, someone said and pushed her back gently. Easy, ma Esheme. Esheme lay back, confused by the use of a term of address reserved for household heads. The speaker was Sati, the caretaker. The small woman had been keeping vigil at the bedside and was now staring at her, cautious. Esheme searched her cross feet eyes, saw distanced, distanced respect in them and worry lines on her forehead. What happened? she asked groggingly. What day is it? Still moon crossing day, ma, Sati answered. We're well past the midnight hour. Why are you calling me ma? Eshime looked around. Where is she? The woman's the small woman's face went through a set of conflicting emotions and irregular traits of hers. Nem had hired Sati in a very unconventional manner, as with many things Nem did. Sati's late husband had died in a hunting accident, and Nem not only brought her into the household's employ, 
she procured official records for the woman's joining to name herself. No ceremony, but a local but the local government office had Sati listed as Nem's wife. Nem, Sati was eternally grateful to Nem and acted it in every waking moment. If she was now referring to Esheme as Ma, then that meant, Where is she? Esheme asked. The woman glanced between Esheme and the far end of the room, where a curtain had been hung to cordon of something. Let me see, Esheme said, rising to a sitting position. Ma, I don't think... Stop calling me that, Esheme snapped. I said I want to see. Sati went to the curtain and slowly pulled it back. The first thing Esheme noticed was the prevalent colors, red and white. White for the bedding and clothing, red for the blood spilled in them. Hama lay completely naked with half her face open in a lesion that dragged from temple to chin so that her jaw stood out starkly in the midst of open flesh. Her face was wrapped to protect it, but the blood had seeped through the cloth. Her plated arches, arcs had been loosened and her hair now lay wild over the bed, some of it sticking to the sweat on the good side of her face. From the way she lay, her body propped up by blankets, ropes connecting from her limbs to the ceiling to keep them in specific positions, Esheme could see how broken her body was. There was a visible sag in the space that her lower left ribs should have occupied, and clear fractures in at least one arm and one leg, both in unnaturally askew positions, in a way limbs never should be. She lay like a corpse, her skin ashy, and but for the slight rise and fall of her chest, she could very well have been dead. Eshima couldn't tear her gaze from the woman in the bed. She found herself staring, frozen, waiting for something warm and wet to dribble down her cheek, for the mixed emotions rolling within her, roiling within her to condense into tears and emerge from her eyes. Nothing. Once, when she was twelve seasons old, a man from the Hunter's Guild had shot a brown antelope in, the, in one of the forests along the Tombolo River and brought it to Nem as offering for some favor past. The animal had still been breathing, soft and laborious, despite the many days journeying to Bassa. Esheme had stood there and stared at his clotting wound, the arrowhead still stuck in his side. The hunter had broken his knees at some point to prevent it from getting up and running. She had stood there, watching the animal suffer, and felt absolutely nothing. Even as young as that, she knew she was supposed to feel some sort of sadness or pity, but she didn't have a name for what she felt, or better yet, didn't feel. She looked upon her man now and felt the same way, a multitude of conflicting responses, fear, anger, surprise, pity, vindication, sadness. They negated one another in a way that culminated 
in the near absence of a response at all. She looked upon her ma and felt nothing. She was truly found sprawled in the corridor behind the window of her room, as the rumor said Sati was saying, her voice trembling, fighting to remain stoic. The bone doctor said her spine is fractured and her skull is dented from the fall. She may or may not wake up, but judging from the carnage in the room, they say the men had to be picked up in pieces and carried out in sackcloth. She is lucky to have survived. She is the one person to have survived any attack by the invaders so far. Eshema grappled with the feelings tossing in her belly. She was sad her ma was injured, right? She was glad she was alive. Of course, of course. Her mind said yes, but her body offered no response. Sati yelped for a household hand. Two young Desalander men rushed in. One of them with a bowl of water and rag, who dipped it and wiped Nem's body. Eshema winced as the boy ran his hand over her ma, touching her indiscriminately. Sati noticed her displeasure and gave the boy rapid-fire instructions so he was more careful. The other boy replaced the cloves burning in a small clay pot by the bedside and set a new bunch aflame, probably as instructed by whatever healers had attended to Nem. Help me up, Eshema said. Sati shoot the boys away, locked the door, then did as she was told, walking Eshema to the bedside. She felt woozy, but could work okay, so she waved the woman aside. The heavy stench of boiled and burnt herbs hung by the bedside. Hama looked peaceful, as if she hadn't been expecting the attack. There were no visible cuts on her body, but various portions were clouded in dark, in large bruises darker than her low black complexion. Eshemes stood there and waited again to feel something, but her quest for empathy soon devolved into blaming. If asked, she could not say what her ma had been fighting, for that had put her in. If asked, she could not say what her ma had been fighting for that had put her in this situation. What exactly has she been doing? For all their time as ma and ma daughter, Nem had only been forthcoming about things that were already common knowledge, like how she conceived Eshema with a man she wasn't joined to and had him disappeared to prevent any funny ideas in the future. The few times Eshema knew about her ma, she discovered piecemeal. Nem liked to eat okra in boiled rice, liked to pick up street strays and ate them, hated small talk about mundane things like the season's harvest or the council's antiques. Antiques. Nem liked to walk late in her library undisturbed, liked to speak little if she didn't think her listener was worthy of attention, liked to speak to Eshema in riddles, particularly those appended to lessons about streetwise acumen. To not know what she had been doing to draw the ire of an outlander, a suspected Igbo worker for that matter, was not strange. What was strange, Esther realized, standing there, 
was that if she were asked what her ma wanted, she couldn't say. Did ma, did Nem love her? Definitely. Nem would do literally anything to ensure that Eshemeh got what she needed to move up in the world. Eshemeh didn't always agree with those choices, but Nem was a slave to the same system she wielded for her own purposes, as much as she was also derided by it. Why she chose to remain in that role, though, Eshemeh could never deduce. For all the lessons she taught Eshemeh about ambition, Eshemeh considered Nem quite unambitious herself. The woman who lay broken before Eshemeh was, in essence, half a stranger. Eshemeh decided it had to be for this very reason that she was unable to mourn Nem's gradual sleep into eternal darkness. But it would also look bad if she just stood there staring at her ma like a statue. statue. So she constricted her chest until she had squeezed forth a tear or two. Ah, ma, Eshime, Sati said, patting her back. You have to be strong and have hope for all of us. Eshime sniffled. This at least was true. She was now ma, Eshime. Until her ma woke up, she nodded, stood straighter. She noticed that Nem was severely emaciated in a way she hadn't been just a day ago, like she had suddenly been struck with a terminal illness. Her hair seemed to have lost all its vitality, and she had a wound or two that did not look like an attack injury, but cracked and patchy skin lesions, the kind Eshemeh had seen in severely malnourished street children. Why does she look like that? Eshemeh asked. Did the burn expert say anything about why she seems malnourished? They did, Sati said. They said she is showing symptoms of Kwashoko. Eshemeh squeezed her face. How is that even possible? Doesn't Kwashoko require multiple fortnights to develop? They were just as alarmed. They said it is what makes her injuries much worse. Because she, she needs to be nourished back to health before her body can even start to heal. This was all they could do until further notice. This? Eshemeh shook her head. She'll be dead before morning. We need someone who understands bodies beyond just bones. Is there no one else you could call? Sati blinked, hesitated. What? Scholar Aifu is the best here. But it's away on a trip to the hinterlands, Sati said. It'll take days of hard riding to pursue him, and a sweet tongue to make him turn back. The next closest by distance is to bring in someone from Chugoko over the border, where they were where they have good natural healers. But the pass is close to immigration. So we'll have to find someone who can puncture that system for us. Something ma. Manem maybe could have done if she were awake, but she trailed off, leaving unsaid the fact that Eshemeh did not have the same influence as her ma. Anyway, that leaves only one qualified healing practitioner in Basa who can maybe handle this case, Haba. The name fell on Eshemeh like a shower of water, and all at once she remembered the night light of the moon crossing. The sting of betrayal when Danso chose the yellow skin over her. 
the pain in her shoulder as she slammed into the barn. She flinched at the memory, and it must have come out as a dangerous expression on her face because Sati gasped and took a step backward. Then, let us get Haba, Eshemi said. Haba and his brothers have been detained, Sati said. The upper council thinks Haba knows where Dan. She cleared her throat, unsure if she could say the name yet, where his son and the evader went. Eshemi bowed her fist and released it. She took a few breaths, studying, steadying herself. Well then, we have to find someone tonight, she said. Mama's life is more important than keeping the only healer who can help her locked up where he's useless to everyone. So either we get him out or we get someone else fast. Ah, that's just as well, Sati's voice lowered. There is a first elder from the upper council here to see you. Maybe you can speak with him on that matter. See me, Eshemi frowned. Who is it? It's Council Han Dota. Dota. Why would he want to see me? Sati regarded her like one with a child one had to repeat everything to. Because you are the head of the household. Eshemi paused again to consider what this meant. Something sinister was truly afoot. All her worst fears had come to pass. Danso had finally disgraced her in the worst way possible, almost killing her in the process even. And Nem had not only gone and nearly killed herself, the burden of her dubious dealings was suddenly on Eshemi's own lap. A burst of hot anger flooded Eshemi's chest. She fought it down. All right, she cleared her throat stood in front of a mirror and adjusted her wrappers and wiped at her eyelashes. I guess I'll go see him at once, and maybe he can help. Where's Oboda? Resting. He took a big knocking, trying to protect you. He, reco he recovered quickly enough, though. It was he who brought you home. Okay. Get me one or two men to come with me. She waved for the caretaker to aid with putting, putting her together. Sati grabbed a nearby comb and began working her hair, replacing the arcs where they were loosened. Is it just Dota here, or the or all of the upper council? Did Abuso make it? Sati frowned, then her eyes opened wide. Oh, you don't know yet. Know what? Speaker Abuso's house was burned to the ground during the moon crossing festival with his whole household inside, Sati said. Not even the quaggas made it out alive. And I'm done. <laughs> I I really hope that this actually um you know pushed you to want to pick up this book and when you can to pre-order. Uh, not sorry, not pre-order, to purchase. I think that it's really captivating and I, I like that the chapter I read has you curious about who Eshema is, who the invader is, who Nem is, who Danso is and um, I hope that you get to pick it up. I would really love to hear thoughts on this book. This is such an amazing book to be honest. So far so good. Like I said, the world building is top notch. Like really 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 top-notch over the head top-notch i totally enjoy it and 
I love that um he I don't know I love that it is he does things to he leaves he leaves a lot of things to our imaginations although I don't like that there are some big words and I don't like that there's a lot of explanation and descriptions I think that it should have been cut down they were just unnecessary in my opinion anyways but this is not a review this is me reading an excerpt to you like I said earlier um we have a blog tour a launch party is going to kick off the virtual blog tour book tour um um an ig live between farida abike yimide author of ace of spades if you don't know ace of spades i don't know i don't think you know anything else <laughs> i'm just saying okay so yeah and it's going she's going to go on live with sui davis and they're going to kick start the book tour 22nd of may um i think i don't know if i can include flyers but i would include flyers if it's possible you all should um set your calendars mark your calendars mark the dates we're going to have an amazing amazing time with this book tour for global south and don't forget to share this podcast if you really enjoyed it share to spread awareness like uh, i think you can subscribe and follow right follow me on my socials bookstagram bookishibu girl twitter the life of a workout though i don't i don't do so much on twitter but yeah you will find me there occasionally uh i have a block news i don't know why but nevertheless we move and um send me voice messages if you want to i'll be so glad that you do and i hope that you enjoy yourself and until my next episode adios